Hello, and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Jordan Granger. And I'm Autumn Webb, and we are so happy you're here. Hi, today we have Christine Locker on. Christine is the founder and CEO of Want Locker, which is an online platform that makes it easier to shop and save pieces that you love from your favorite brands. And you can also follow like your influencers, favorite lockers, and see what they have. Um, Christine is featured on Forbes Next 1000, and she has so much to share with us. So we are very excited to have you on today. Hello, Christine. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining and giving us your time. To get started, we want to get right into it. So what is Want Locker and why did you start this? Yeah, so I actually, the idea came to me. I've always been the friend who helped everybody shop online. So when somebody would have a birthday party or something would come up, they would text me and say like, what should I wear to this event? And I would go online to a ton of different retailers, compile all of my favorites or recommendations for them and send my friends an email full of links. Um, And I was doing that one day and it was towards the end of my career in real estate or what I wanted to be the end of my career in real estate. And I was like, is there something out there that's better than this that I could essentially share my favorites with friends shopping online? So I looked for something and couldn't find it. And when I couldn't find it, I was like, I'm going to try and sketch this out on a sheet of paper and see what that experience could look like for a consumer. So I essentially wanted it to be a mix between Pinterest and like to know it um, and take the features that I think both of those platforms do really, really well, but also add features that I think both of those platforms are lacking and create a shopping experience that supports the consumer from when they first see a product that they want to buy to when they're ready to buy it. Because there's like a huge period of time in between those two essentially like events and um, and rather than keeping internet browser tabs open or taking screenshots on your phone where all of those screenshots get lost in your camera roll, um, I wanted to create a platform that would allow you to keep track of all of your favorites when you're shopping online. Um, so that is how I thought and created Locker. I absolutely love that. It's so cool and inspiring. And also like kind of it's such like a niche necessity, but like it is a necessity and it is like such a problem area that most people have. And I'm just thinking like targeted ads. I honestly am such a fan of targeted ads because it actually gives me what I want. But a lot of times I'm like not in a spending mindset when something pops up that like I want, it just kind of like pops up while I'm scrolling Instagram and I'm like, Oh, it's the end of the month. Like I don't have my next paycheck or like whatever reason I can't buy it. Be so nice to save. Um, so I, I really love that. And we recently saw that you raised actually a million dollars for your company, which is so incredible. Congratulations. And I actually studied entrepreneurship. Um, it was my minor in college. And one of the things that they told me, I was working on a project that was like a makeup brand and they were like, it's really hard to raise money for like feminine forward brands, especially, you know, as a woman, it's hard to find female investors. And like, I think that's kind of changing and expanding, but like in general, that's kind of the rule of thumb. So as a young woman on a very like female focused brand, how did you do that? How did you go about finding people to invest in your company? Yeah. So many thoughts when it comes to this, I'm not going to lie. It's still an extremely hard process for females. It's just, unfortunately it is expanding and changing and there are more females in in the space, but I think the bottom line is that it just hasn't changed yet. Um, And as much as people talk about wanting to invest in more female 
founded companies when it comes to like looking at the pitch decks and reviewing the companies. I think they just can't get themselves there. Um, it's more than just being a female though, too. One thing for me that was like made it even harder to fundraise was that this is my first company and a lot of VCs want to invest in people who are essentially serial entrepreneurs or serial founders. So they're on their second or third company and they've done it before and they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly who to hire next. And like that gives the VCs kind of a higher level of comfort. Um, I actually was able to raise because a user of the Locker platform loves the platform so much. And I had posted something on social media and it was, I think, just two different survey questions that were kind of general questions. And she DM'd me and was like, does this mean you're working on a pitch deck? And I was like, yes, I am working on a pitch deck. And she was like, so are you like going to be raising within the next couple of months? And I was like, yep, working on the pitch deck. And then we'll be going out to open a formal fundraising round. And she was like, I would love to chat. So she and I started chatting um, pretty like formally. And um, she was like, I would love to invest. And I had no idea what that meant. I mean, you can get check sizes as small as $5,000 from angel investors. Um, and so I was thinking maybe she'll want to invest twenty or $25,000. Um, and I asked her, I said, how much are you thinking? And she was like a million dollars. And I think my jaw like hit the floor. Um, and so I, I was, I wear my heart on my sleeve too. So I literally like gasped at her and was like, really? Like, are you sure? Um, and she was like, no, I truly believe in the company. I see where it's going. I know what you can do. Um, and so she was my first check in the door. And so once I got the check from her, the fundraising environment essentially kind of changed. Um, I don't know if you guys remember just in the last couple of months, but valuations on tech companies has significantly um, dropped. And so because of the change in the environment, I decided to shift my focus from continuing to raise on top of that 1 million um, and deploying the 1 million. So right now, instead of raising another two, I'm hiring my founding engineer, which I actually just offered today and he accepted. So we have now an engineer on the team um, and we're going through a rebrand. So new logo, new colors, um, we'll do a re-UI UX. I don't know how many people who are listening have actually used the platform, but anything that you're experiencing on the platform right now, like where the buttons take you to and like essentially the whole onboarding process was me sketching on a piece of paper. Um, so it's not backed by any sort of like research or um, anybody who has like actual experience in user experience and design. Um, so it needs like a whole refresh. So we're going through that process now as well. And then we'll formally fundraise again in January. So I guess my advice to people who are listening and who want to start a fundraising process is to do it way before you ever think you need to, because it takes so much longer than you ever think it's going to take. And also go into the relationships with VCs and angels as friends. Like these are people you want to develop a relationship with and you want to be your mentor. And so you're asking them for advice before you're asking them for money. And I think that changes a huge part of the relationship of being able to go to them and say, hey, this is the problem that I'm experiencing right now. What are your thoughts? And like that, bringing them on to be involved in the process so that when you're actually ready to raise, they know how you think and they are very confident in your ability to get the company from point A to point B. Yeah, that is such a good 
piece of advice. I didn't even think about that. Like wait until you're like actually asking for money. Like let's build a relationship first because they're going to feel so much more comfortable when they know how your head thinks and how you're already problem solving in the company. How, when you decided, well, I have two, a two part question, basically one, at what point were you like, this is actually gaining traction. I think I have something really big. I want to invest. And then once you decided that, where do you start? Yeah. So I essentially had always told myself I would run the platform revenue free just to prove the concept. I wanted to make sure that like we were going to have a product that actually worked, that users actually came to and engaged with heavily. And I knew I wanted to wait until I hit my first 10,000 users to even start the fundraising process. Because I think you can raise on just an idea, like no product, but that then from a founder perspective, um, you end up losing a bigger chunk of your company because you're raising on something that doesn't really exist unless you're Adam Newman. I don't know if anyone is familiar with what's going on with Adam Newman, but he's the WeWork founder, but he just raised $350 million in, on an idea um, with nothing. But if you're not him, um, as long as you can hold on. So I would I bootstrapped the company up until I raised the first million. So it was all of my own money that I was putting into the company. And I was fortunately able to hold on up until that 10,000 user number. And so the valuation when I fundraised was it much more favor- favorable for me versus raising like earlier on. So that was kind of what I was holding on for. Um, and when I hit the 10,000 number, I was like, I know I have something and I know um, if I get money in and we can hire the right people, like this can 10X, um, the company will be able to 10X. So I knew... Um, I wanted to raise later in the game. And then once you realized that you had something serious, how did you even go about like getting investors? Is it just like personal connections? Like, are there websites for this? Like, I have no idea how I would ever get investors for something outside of my personal uh, circle. Yeah. So when you go to fundraise, there are different VCs and and stage of stages of VCs. So there are VCs who invest in pre-seed and seed up until you have like your high growth companies. And so you kind of start with stage of where your company is at and then what industry your company is in. So I'm a consumer tech company. So I would go out into Google and say like top VCs for pre-seed consumer tech. And you'll get lists, whether it's on Crunchbase or um, there's a couple other websites that also have lists of VCs. Um, and then from there, you do so much digging. Like I would go into LinkedIn, type in the VC name, look for their people. And then once I got down to their people, I would look to see if anybody in my network was connected with them. They say that you can reach out to VCs. So a cold email to them or a cold LinkedIn message to them. Um, it typically doesn't work very well. I was fortunate enough to, I'm a part of multiple female founder networks to tap into those networks and, um, request any sort of warm intro to anybody who worked at these VCs. So I had created my list, my investor, target investor list. Then I like made a list of who do I know who's connected to somebody at that VC. And then I kept track of, okay, I've reached out to this person they're going to intro me to that VC. And that was kind of how the process went. And so now since I paused fundraising um, after I received the 1 million in January, we'll go to fundraise again. And I've just continued to talk to these VCs. So they know I'm not raising, but again, it's building that relationship, keeping them involved with 
what I'm doing with the company right now, where do we want the company to be? Um, and then again, I'll start the process in January. Can you go a little bit more detailed into what your bootstrapping was like? Like when you were literally in the first few months or year of your business and you had like, I don't know, you had no sort of budget set aside for it. Like you, you just had an idea and like some motivation. How did you go about it? Like, were you freelancing? Where were you getting your money? Like, was it your savings? Were you taking out credit card loans? Like get into the nitty gritty of the bootstrapping process. Cause I feel like that's, that's the phase that really intimidates me because it's so overwhelming because it's almost like the sky is your limit. So you like, don't move anywhere. Cause you're like, there's so many places to go. <laughs> so like, yeah. what were your first steps? Yeah. So mine, I was fortunate enough. My first job out of college was at Goldman Sachs. So I had saved up a lot of money from that job. And then after that job, I went into being um, a commercial real estate broker and making commission from that. I also had um, some savings. So it was purely from my savings account. And when I went to start Locker and I quit my job, I went full in on Locker. So no income was coming in. And actually, even up until today, it's been like, now two and a half years without making a dime. And so budgeting was really, really important. And that included both budgeting how much I could put into the company, as well as how much I needed myself to live. And that's my rent. That's all of my meals. That's like keeping myself sane, um, going to workout classes. And so when it came to the company and any anything I spent, obviously I didn't know what it was like to start a company and how much it would cost. And so any any um, invoice that I got or proposal, I guess, that I got from a vendor because I was having to hire engineers and hire somebody to do my design and um, starting to work with influencers and starting to learn kind of that in the entire startup landscape, I would vet those proposals with as many people as I could. Like, is this a number that seems reasonable to you? Am I protecting myself with a contract? Um, reading stuff so seriously when it came to the contracts of like, how do I get out of this contract if I don't want to be in it? And is there a cap on spend when it comes to like working with a contractor just to protect yourself of like the worst case scenario? And that way, you know, when you go into something, you're like, okay, if this all goes wrong, this is my maximum loss. Um, And so really thinking that way of hopefully you're going to get something good out of it. But if you don't, like this is as bad as it's going to be. Um, So having to really learn and understand how working with contractors works was a huge part of it. Um, And then I think holding on up until the 10,000 user point, I got to the point where all the technology was really built. So paying my independent contractors who were my developers was like very minimal at that point. And so you're kind of looking at your monthly spend and you're like, okay, my, my engineering spend right now is pretty low. So can I put more money into working with influencers so that I can continue to grow the platform to get to that 10,000 number? So you're constantly calculating where should I be sending my money? What's going to get me the most growth for the lowest amount of spend? Um, and essentially like all working towards that same goal. So mine was always getting to 10,000 users And I always promised myself I wouldn't go below 50,000 in my savings account because I was like, if I get to the point where I have 50,000 left and 
the company's not going to be anything. I can go get another job and I can go do something else and make myself money. But at least I'll know, like at that point, I'll know that I tried my best to get the company to work. Um, and so it kind of worked out that right as I got to 10,000 users, I had like 55,000 left. And oh my I, God. <laughs> thank God. And so the idea for Want Locker was born. And when you had that idea, what was the timeline for like, idea in my mind to quitting my job. And then at, when you decided that, like you laid out all of the other, like, okay, at 50,000, I, I call it quits. Did you know when you made that $50,000 number that it would be about two years that you had to make it something? Or did you think that you had longer because you had no idea what the expenses were? Like, I think that's something that Jordan and I have found, like, we're trying to put money into this now to like grow. And we're also like, we have no idea how much things cost. Like how much do we offer to pay people? Where do we put the money? And like, how much do we keep investing? And at what point are we like, we tried our best. (laughs) And so how did you, I don't know, like timeline to quitting your job and then like timeline to when you're going to call it quits. Yeah. So in December of 2019 was when I started to think about, I don't want to do real estate forever And this idea had started to come to me and I was in the office, I think it was like December 4th. And I got a notification on my phone that Instagram had launched their shopping feature. And that was the night I I had had conversations with, I actually like worked with my dad when I was a commercial real estate broker. And so I'd had conversations with him about my idea and he was pretty weary of it. My dad's a pretty conservative guy. And so he was like, sure, sure. Like, sounds like a great idea. Um, but didn't really ever think I would probably take the leap and leave and go try it. But when I got that notification about Instagram shopping, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it now because somebody else is going to do it before I can. And that night I walked out of the office, I cowardly sent my dad a text message and was like, I don't think I'm going to come back tomorrow. Um, I need to see if I can figure this out. And then that next morning I woke up and essentially like, I work really well off of lists and I'm a huge planner. So that next day, I kind of just made a game plan of like, if I'm going to start a company, what are the things that I need to do? So started like Googling and looking for lists. And I found Y Combinator has something called startup school. And I just applied to startup school. And I think everybody gets in. Um, It's a completely free program. And it essentially walks you through all of the different stages of starting your company from like, how do you set up a C corporation and why should you set up a C corporation? And if you're looking to fundraise, they tell you to set up a C corp that's a Delaware C corp. And so all of those things you wouldn't know before you get into that space. And so I taught myself as much as I could about the general startup space and then was like, okay, this is a tech company. So who do I need to hire to help me um, and going on Upwork and, and like what you were just saying with paying people, there's unfortunately a lot of people who are out there just trying to make the easiest dollar. Um, and so that means like the littlest work for the most money. And it's really just vetting against people's character. And so I was constantly um, interviewing on Upwork for engineers. And finally, I think I'd interviewed like 40 engineers. And finally, I got one candidate. His name was Jerry. He's been with me since the very beginning. Um, And I could just tell that his character was different than the rest. And like, maybe he wasn't the smartest guy, but he was going to work the hardest and he was going to 
um, be the most honest when it came to like, I can do this, but I can't do that. Or we can do this, but it's going to cost this much. And at least laying all the information on the table. Um, and so it's really just making sure that you have faith in that person as a person before you're signing up to say like, let's work together and I'm going to end up paying you X amount of dollars. Um, but it all happened really quickly. So it was December that I left. By March, I had hired Jerry, which sounds like a long time. But when you're like, startup school was eight weeks. And when you're just trying to teach yourself everything about the industry, like in those two months, essentially January to the very beginning of March, when I hired Jerry, I had set up my C corporation. I had gone to startup school. I had worked with my friend to create the logo. Um, I ended up working with my college roommate to do the design. So she made my logo and and the um, brand mark. And so all of that had happened. And then I hired the engineers and we started building the product. Um, and obviously, again, with it being my first company, um, everything does take a little bit longer and like have patience with yourself as you figure it out because you've never done it before and give yourself grace and time to figure it out and, and do it without rushing into it. Like I was confident with each one of my decisions because I like, took time to think about um, what was best. How much did you know, like going into the process? Like, did you study marketing or anything? And like, what, what did you study in school? And like, or was it all like, I have this idea, I'm going to like, I'm scrappy and resourceful and we'll figure it out. Um, I had no experience in anything that has to do with locker. My background in school, aside from like business, general business, my, my major in college was real estate finance. My first job out of college was real estate at Goldman. I was on their acquisition and debt financing teams. So completely unrelated. Um, and then became, becoming a commercial real estate broker, like I have no marketing experience. I know nothing about technology. I knew nothing about the startup industry. But again, you're right. I I knew I was going to be scrappy and resourceful. I knew I was smart enough to figure it out. And I was really approaching it more from I'm your target user and something's missing for me in this online shopping experience. So let me fix it for myself. And in fixing, fixing it for myself, I knew I would fix it for thousands of other people. Um, and that was the approach that I took was... I can figure everything else out or I can bring the right people around me to help me figure it out. But at least I know who I'm trying to serve and I want to serve them as best as I can. And so that was like my one gift in starting the company. As Jordan said earlier, like, I mean, Pinterest is similar and like they have a shopping feature, but when you click on it, sometimes it doesn't even exist and it's just like confusing. And my camera roll is full of things that I'm like, oh yeah, I want to buy this, but like it's $250. So I want to save up for it. And I actually want to sleep on it for a little bit to make sure I really want this before I commit. And then my, my shopping cart will like erase itself after seven hours or something. And then, or the link is unavailable. And I'm like, I don't even know how to find this anymore. So I, I think it's really cool that you were like, oh, Instagram has a shopping feature. Like I know this is where the market's going. How do you, like, is the C Corp enough to make sure that no one kind of like copies your idea. Okay. <laughs> so how does that work? Are you worried about that? Is it like we need to be we need to build brand recognition as soon as possible because a bigger company could do it faster maybe. Yeah. So there's actually already been two copycats of Locker since I launched. Um and they say in startup space that if you have a good idea, it's always going to be copied. So it's just a form of flattery. Um, really the most important thing is building brand awareness and being the one that does it the best. So there's another company out there 
And they have a very similar feature to allowing you to like aggregate your saves, but they don't have any social aspect. And so I think the social is such a big part of the experience. And it's actually that company was started by like a middle-aged man. And I'm like, you're never going to understand the user the way that like I can understand the user. And so there's a big like advantage to just kind of being the first one, like the originator of the idea. Um, But I also do have patents pending on the technology of Locker. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. You can apply for patents and end up getting rejected multiple, multiple times before um, you end up getting something through. But I've had patents pending on the product since 2020, early 2020. So hopefully that will be enough. But there's really no way to prevent people people from copying your idea. And you touched on this a little bit, um, but what? how has your, uh, let's call it your financial mix, changed from like the inception of the product to now? And you can think like, I'm thinking in really broad general categories of like product and then like marketing cost. So like growth opportunities versus like perfecting the product. you mentioned that like your engineering costs went down over time, but I would love to know just like roughly where, how you were prioritizing your spend at each different stage of the company. Yeah. So at the very, very beginning of the company, it was all engineering. And that was about for the first six months. It was, let's build this product and make it as good as we can for the MVP, which is your minimum viable product. So that's like, you should be embarrassed to release your MVP so that it works, but it has glitches. Um, But that was the first big chunk of money. And it was the only thing I spent money on. And then from there, it was like, okay, we have a working product. Now we need people to use it. We need people to know about it. The only marketing I ever did was influencer marketing because I knew the product would take some level of education as well as engaging content in order to get people to convert to signing up. Um, If you're not familiar with Chrome extensions, like they do take some level of education and somebody saying like, here's how you do it. And this is how it works. And um So influencer marketing gave me both of those things where I could have them create engaging content, but also walk a new potential user through the platform. And so after the the product was built and we released it on Google Chrome, um, I went all in on influencer marketing, obviously within um, a budget. And that was like when my engineering cost was just maintenance fees. So like maybe a couple thousand dollars a month. Um, because you also have all of these backend costs as well. So like AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, I think is what it's called. Um, I have to, I have to pay for that every single month because that's where our database is stored. Um, so you always have these like constant ongoing fees. That structure between like putting a lot into influencer and less into engineering was probably for the last year. And now it's shifting back again. Um, in these next three months leading up to the holidays, it's going to be like really heavy engineer, UI, UX, design. Um, and then we'll shift again, hopefully, if the tech is done by the middle of October, back into like really heavy marketing because Locker is a huge, hugely important product, an incredible product for the holidays and shopping and creating your wish list and sharing that with friends. And so we want to make sure that people know about the product and can use it for the holidays. So it kind of goes back and forth between the two. I think there's always going to be periods of time where the tech needs 
help or we're adding new features or um, you're building your technology team and that increases your spend. My spend also right now is going to increase just based on hiring um, a founding engineer. So like that's going to be an ongoing cost um, that makes like, well, I guess you would call like the technology more expensive. Um, but yeah, it kind of ha- each one has its season. And then when you are reaching out to these influencers or making a deal with an influencer, is the deal more so like X amount of posts or is it also like one post and then I also want you to make an account so that people will like follow you? Because I think that's a big thing. Like on TikTok, we see trends come and influencers blow up so quickly. And like Matilda Jerf, I don't know her last name. I probably butchered that. But yeah. everyone is obsessed with the way she dresses. And if she had a want locker, which she might, but if she did... I'm sure a ton of people would like flock to follow her or to see what she's buying because like these, some people are just like trendsetters. And so getting a few of these key trendsetters could really, you know, in, increase your like user base. So is that a part of your deal when you're reaching out to them or do you just hope that they like the idea and they'll sign up on their own? Yeah. So I won't bring on any influencer unless they're willing to create an account and engage with the platform. So like they ha- it has to be something that they're going to love because I think authenticity is really important to me. So I've also been really picky about the influencers that I work with. Like I want them to be people who their audience really trusts them. Their audience knows that when they're, even if it's an advertisement, when they're talking about it, it's something that they actually love or use. Um, and so I it was a non-negotiable for me to work with people that like they would have to be willing to create an account and curate content. Um, and then when we would sign up, it was, I only did stories because I thought, again, I wanted that education um, aspect. And so like an in-feed post doesn't really do that for Locker. Um, so I would always sign on for stories and I actually learned the hard way, but stories can be talked about in individual 15 second frames. Um, and so I, in my mind before all this, thought like a story was a set of frames and it's not. It's one 15 second frame. And so obviously I've grown um, in being in the industry now for a couple of years, but making sure that when you're negotiating, you know exactly what's on the table and exactly what's being talked about. So I was paying per 15 second frame um, and that can become really, really expensive. And so I learned the hard way once and I'll never do it again. Um, that you want to make sure you know exactly like what it is that you're paying for. But I've had, I've worked with some incredible influencers, incredible like people. They're now my friends and they truly love the business and supporting female founders. And so that's something that's really important to me as well is, are they going to be willing to work with me if we do have a misunderstanding? Um, when it comes to the contract. And so it's really important just to kind of trust. Again, it goes back to trusting who it is that you're going to be like paying any money to. And do you have a good feeling about them in general? So outside of the company, um, how do you manage your own life? I'm sure it's really hard to have boundaries when you're obsessed with the thing you're working on. Um, We struggle with that just with this alone. Like I can't even imagine if we had a million dollars on top of this, like how we would ever find any boundaries. So yeah. How do you, how are you like living? What does a day in your life look like? And how are you setting boundaries? How are you structuring your life in a way that you kind of mentioned this earlier? You like, you are happy and sane and you're also growing your business at the same time. 
It's really hard. Um, and it's only gotten harder as we've obviously now I have the million and I'm growing the team and there's so much happening right now to set those boundaries. And especially too, because I work from home, it's really hard to just disconnect because the space all runs into one. And so it's not like you leave the office and you unplug, even if it's for like two hours. So my mornings are super sacred to me. Um, I usually wake up about 6 a.m. Um, I'll do a little bit of work on my phone. And my fiance absolutely hates that. He's like, can you just like sleep with your phone outside of the room? And I'm like, <laughs> one day, like if Locker becomes successful enough, sure, I'll agree to sleep with my phone outside. Um, but I, then I'll do a workout and then I always go for a walk every morning. So then my workday typically starts between like 8.30 and 9. Um, and I do my best work in the mornings too. So I typically try not to schedule any calls before 11 a.m. because that's the time I can like get in front of my computer knock out any emails, read any contracts I need to, and kind of get my most efficient work done. And then in the afternoons, I like to have my calls because it's now I've been silent all morning. So I miss talking to people and I want to like re-engage. So I'll set up any calls that I have in the afternoon. Um, And then I do really love to cook. And so typically like around seven, I'll end up like making some dinner, um, eating dinner with my fiance. And then I'll usually bring my computer downstairs and I work with my computer on the couch. And again, he's like, can you shut that thing? Like, it's like an addiction. And I'm like, I just have so much to do. And I like, don't mind like doing some, some of the mindless stuff that like just needs to get done. Um, so to the, the long answer is that I don't really have boundaries and I could get better about having boundaries, but I think when it's such a critical time and it's something that you love so much, like it almost feels like better giving it all of your energy. And it feels like this is what I want to be doing. And if I want this dream to work, like I have to be able to be willing to work really hard. A good example is that my fiance and his whole family are going to Hawaii next week and I'm not going. Um, And it's just decisions like that, that you have to make because you believe in something that you're building and you have to be willing to like sacrifice certain things for this period of time. Um, the weekends I do try and like keep super sacred. Like I'll probably work a couple hours on a Saturday and a few hours on a Sunday, but it's not like I'm working 24 seven. So like I'll keep those for myself. And then like by Monday morning, I'm ready to get back into it. Um, but I mean, I advise anybody who's starting a company to have a therapist. I meet with my therapist every two weeks. Um, and she keeps me sane. Like I can just vent to her about where I do and don't have boundaries and like practice different tools. And um, because it's really, really hard to like stay on top of your mental health when you constantly feel there's just an immense amount of pressure that comes with starting your company. Like people are like, yeah, but you have a million dollars now. And I'm like, but that million dollars is somebody else's money. And I have a huge responsibility to that person to make this company successful. And so there's just a lot of pressure um, in finding, keeping things that are sacred. Like I'll never give up my mornings and I make sure I make dinner um, at least like three nights a week, um, three or four nights a week. And so like keeping those things that mean a lot to me sacred while also like trying to give as much energy to the business as I can is kind of like where I am right now. Yeah. And I actually have a follow-up on that. Um, so you mentioned your fiance, first of all, congratulations on your engagement. Thanks. Um, Thanks. 
But I would love to know how balancing a relationship has been. And it sounds like kind of it's a relationship that has progressed in the time of the business. And now I'm guessing you're planning a wedding. So like, how has that been on your relationship? How do you still, I don't know, is he involved in the business? Like, how does that dynamic work now? Yeah. So we actually met during COVID too. So Locker had started before I met him. We met during COVID. So he's kind of been along for the ride since the very, very beginning. Like I think Locker was only four months old when I met Ryan. Um, And we moved in together like very quickly as well. So we've kind of like, he's been fully immersed in what my life is like as a founder. And so I think he really understands, he really understands me very well. He understands where he can push me to set better boundaries. Um, Because sometimes I do have to remind myself, I'm like, does he know that I love him? Like, does he remember that I love him? Because I'm constantly like, Locker seems to be like the baby in the family. Um, And so it's not the easiest thing. Um, He walks with me every morning and that's like our special time together. It's like we walk and talk every morning. And so we'll catch up on what's going on with work for him, what's going on for me, talking about like our families and um, catching up kind of just on everything life in the morning. Um, But it's definitely not the easiest thing. And the wedding, we actually got engaged in December and the wedding's in June of 2023. So we had a year and a half engagement and I've probably spent eight hours planning the wedding just because like, I don't have that much time. Um, and I use this like software to help me schedule what I need to do. And all of my wedding things like come up to the due date and just don't get done and then like get pushed. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have so much that I need to do. Um, and so now I think that we're getting closer. I'm going to have to like start shifting those priorities of maybe the weekends is when I plan, um, or work on certain things. Like I just went and got my wedding dress. And when I was like putting the deposit on the dress, the lady was like, thank God you came in this week because it's going to take nine months to produce the dress and you're going to need two months for alterations. And she was like, and you're at 11 months before your wedding. And I was like, how did I let it get to this point where like we're running up against deadlines, but again, like locker is so important to me. Um, but I do keep trying to remind myself, you only get to plan one wedding in your life or you hope it's only one wedding in your life. And I want to enjoy the process. And so I'm going to start trying to set better boundaries around enjoying that process and doing that with Ryan. Um, but I'm definitely not the model citizen when it comes to like balancing your relationship and work. Um, at least right now. Well, I feel like having a supportive partner when you're doing something like this is so important too. Like uh, me and my boyfriend, like he is also doing his own company and I'm trying to do this podcast with Jordan. And so there are times where we both definitely like we neglect us because we're both so focused on this, but we're both also excited about the opportunity and what the possibility of the future is. Like I always make jokes like, if you blow up first, you're buying me a house in Europe. Like that's the deal. And he always makes jokes that he wants to be a stay at home dad when the podcast blows up. So it's just like knowing that it's okay to make sacrifices now while we're young. And like, if we build something amazing, we could like, this could be set for life, you know, and having that kind of person to like, especially it's so emotionally draining, like you said, to start your own business and like do it all on your own, your own. And now with the million dollars, it's almost, yeah, it's almost worse because you're like, now I have I have no excuses anymore. Like I have the money before maybe Mm -hmm. it was like, ah, it's all my own money. What do I do? And now it's like, it's literally 
it's all on me and I have the, I have the ability, like it's sink or swim time. So that's kind of like a lot, a lot more pressure I would imagine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And Ryan, Ryan has the opposite personality to me, which has actually been a blessing. Like I'm pretty type A. I'm obviously like pretty OCD. Um, I'm like very anxious and he is very relaxed. He's very calm. So like any time that I seem to like get pretty anxious, he's able to help calm me down and open my eyes to like, okay, what's the big picture of this situation? How can we take one bite of the elephant at a time versus like trying to attack it all at once? Um, And that's like such a good balance for me because he doesn't allow me to get to the point where like I'm in absolute panic. He takes me from like, a six down to a two, um, rather than like riling me up even more. So it's definitely such a blessing to have a partner who can like balance you out as well. And I have, I'm wondering, so I'm sure there's been times, very emotional times where you're like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I think like, I'm not gaining enough traction or we're at a plateau or it's just too much for myself. I think, I think I might need to like before the investment, obviously, when you have the two-year thing, um, times where you're close to quitting, what did you do to like recenter yourself or like bring yourself back to like, no, this is what I want. I'm, I know, and it's okay that I'm putting in all this work right now to make something big. Like, how did you, I don't know, push through the, <laughs> the really hard times, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for me, imposter syndrome is like well and alive. I feel it even now with the million, like I'll constantly feel like, what am I doing? Like, am I the person who's supposed to be doing this? Am I cut out to do this? And obviously it was a lot more before I got the million. And up until getting that million, like probably the month before that was like the height of feeling crazy for what I was doing. You know, you're two years out of having any income and you're like, what did I do? Like, what did I just do with my entire life. I blew all of my savings. I haven't had a real job. Like, am I even qualified to go back and get a real job? Who would hire me now? Um, And you get all these thoughts, but I would let myself sit with the, the feeling for 10 minutes, cry, feel whatever you want to feel. And then like reset and think about like, I have 10,000 people who are using this platform. Like I would go to the following tab on Locker and just like look through it and be like, look at all these people who are using the platform and who are loving what I'm doing. And I'm changing the way that they operate and like helping them operate in a better way and like bringing them so much joy. And a big part of the platform, like a big motivator for it was that I didn't like that, like to know it had any sort of gatekeeping where like you had to have a certain amount of followers to be able to curate and share what you wanted to. And one of the biggest inspirations was that I wanted everybody to be able to experience what influencers were able to experience. Like I wanted to democratize being able to socially shop and curate um, and share. And so when I look at like the following tab and any new users and people would sign up and just like populate all their collections, it would remind me of why I'm doing what I'm doing and why it's working. Um, So I think definitely letting yourself sit with the feelings, like don't try and cover them up or like brush them under the rug because then it just ends up 
building on on itself. Um, so feel the feelings and then remind yourself what an incredible thing it is that you're doing. And for you guys, like how many people are listening to your podcast and how even if it's one person who listens to an episode and it changes the way that they're operating their life, like what a gift. And so coming from that perspective versus like trying to conquer the world in like two months, like that's never going to work. Like it's always the slow game, um, not trying to grow too fast and like you're changing people's lives and what a cool thing that we're all doing. I love that. And kind of on that same vein, I have one other, one last question for you. (laughs) Um, If you could give, I mean, I'm sure there's people listening who are in the headspace of wanting to start their own thing, feeling entrepreneurial, or they even have an idea already. What is like your one piece of advice for young entrepreneurs as they like start their journey? Start with the intention of building a community, no matter what it is that you're doing. So like something I wish I had started even earlier was like a Geneva or a Discord where people could talk about products that they wanted to buy and then building the product on top of that community. So like build people, bring people together um, with like the same interests and people who want to talk to each other and need an outlet for something. And then from that point, then build your product on top of the community that you've already created because people are desperate for connection. And so if you can give them that little point of connection, you already have like a much stronger bond between like you, that person, and then that person with your product. And for the longevity of your business, like that's going to be so crucial. Um, One thing I've always tried to do with lockers, any new person who follows the Instagram account, I personally DM them and just thank them for being there. Tell them I'm so excited for them to try the platform if they haven't yet. And if they they haven't like if they have any questions to please like never hesitate to reach out to me because I want to talk to everybody who's a part of the community um, because without them like locker would be nothing and so that would probably be my my one little nugget. I love that and I feel like that is something that's really crucial in like the influencer space right now and I feel like a lot of people are calling bullshit on like holier than thou, better than you influencers. And they really want people who are just like kind to them. And I feel like, I mean, even personally, like I hate when I see people doing hauls and like acting entitled about it or whatever it is. And so I feel like that's a very interesting perspective as like a CEO, keeping that same like humble attention to each one of your customers and the community, because like it is everything and it is what's building, you know, your success. So that was a great one. And if you look at like, if you look at TikTok too, like the people who blow up on TikTok are the realest people. Like I want to know in your clothing haul, like what you loved and what you didn't love. Like, don't just show me that like everything fit you and it's all perfect and like whatever. Like I want to, I want to see like why it didn't fit you or what you don't like about it. Um, and so I think like also keeping that authenticity, um, throughout the entire building process is really important as well. And also you are really good at that. I remember I was just talking to Jordan before this. She was like, what is she like? Like, you're the one who said we should have this girl on. Like, who is she? And I was like, I don't know, but I kind of feel like we're already kind of friends because she always responds whenever I message. And like, I talked to her more than I think I've talked to any other random account that I followed sometime. Like I, (laughs) so I'm like, I already feel like I have a, a connection to her and 
so you are good at that. And uh, definitely like after doing this, I'm so much more excited to like build lockers and like give it to my boyfriend when he's shopping for me for Christmas. Like these are just, I, you are definitely the right person for this company. I, and I, if you have any imposter syndrome, like you, you (laughs) so much better than you think, like you are way more together than, than I think you think. So Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. Thank so, you. This has been really, really, really amazing. Thank you. And if anybody like is listening to the podcast, wants to reach out, like I can give you guys my email. They can DM me on Instagram. I respond to everything. Um, and I'm happy to kind of connect with anybody who has questions about entrepreneurship, starting a tech company, um, whatever it may be. On that note, do you want to give like your Instagram handles and where people could find the company and just kind of pimp yourself out for a second? Sure. So my personal Instagram is at Christine Locker and the business Instagram is at Want Locker. And then if you want to start a locker, it's just wantlocker.com. You can sign up and download the Chrome extension and it will forever change the way that you shop. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This truly has been so fun and really just awesome chatting with you. Thank you guys. I'm so excited to listen.